Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Back at the Wall Pod. My name is Zach, joined by Ezra, as always, with a new intro. Ezra, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Really loving the uh, the new intro. How about you? I'm good as well. We are in the midst of spring training, full on in the heart of it. We've been on a bit of a hiatus the last couple of weeks, just busy with other things. But we are back. Spring, training's game, spring training games have been underway for about a week now. Uh, we're also just approaching the World Baseball Classic getting underway, which is super exciting. So we're going to talk a bit about the big storyline of the spring so far, which has been, no doubt, the rule changes, and especially the pitch clock with everything that's been going on, um, and like all the controversy around that. And we'll cover what our thoughts on that today. Um, and then we'll touch on the World Baseball Classic. We'll talk about a couple of other news items that have happened in the last few weeks in Major League Baseball as well. But we hope you enjoy it, and we hope you enjoyed that new intro. A little bit uh, more of a jingle than the... Joe Buck yelling at you for eight seconds, so we hope you enjoyed that. Um, but without further ado, let's get into the pitch clock. So the pitch clock is obviously the biggest rule change uh, of the bunch. Just to go over them, though, the pitch clocks um, are, is, as I said, the biggest, with the other ones being the Bach rule and being a bit more strict uh, on umpires calling box, bigger bases, and the shift ban. Um, those are the big ones, um, but let's we're going to spend the most time on the pitch clock because that's it deserves it. Um, so just for those of you who don't know, there's now a pitch clock in between pitches, essentially. And so how it's going to work is um, the the there, there is a 15 second clock when when no one is on base and a 20 second clock when there are runners on and the uh, the, the hitter has to be in the batter's box with his eyes on the pitcher, like looking at the pitcher, ready to hit with eight seconds remaining on the clock, or else it's an automatic strike. And the pitcher obviously just has to throw the ball um, with with the within the allocated time that they have, which means and the, the clock resets as soon as the pitcher gets the ball. So the catcher, he throws the pitch, the catcher has it. And then as soon as the catcher throws it back to the pitcher, that's when the pitch, the clock starts, whether it's at starting at 15 or 20. So it's been a lot of controversy on baseball, Twitter, watching games. It's the storyline of every single spring training broadcast. But let's talk about our thoughts. Ezra, what are your thoughts on the pitch clock? Are you pro-pitch clock, anti-pitch clock? I'm pro-pitch clock. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, there has been a lot of controversy, especially with people saying, you know, they're changing the game. It's not baseball. You know, baseball's always been the game without a clock. Um, but I think this isn't about, you know, the league maybe wants to, the league thinks that making games shorter will make, will attract more fans to the game, which could be true. Um, but then additionally, it's about a crisper game. Nobody wants to watch guys adjust their batting gloves and pitchers play with the rosin bag and walk around the mound. And I mean, all this stuff that is so, you know, kind of part of baseball. But when you're trying to attract new fans, especially, it's not appealing. You know, people are there to watch a game. They're not there to watch guys do these kind of rituals um, and toy with each other and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think, again, it's the time is good. Yeah, it definitely drastically reduces the time of games, which is nice. You know, there's 162 games. It's, if you have a game every night that's three hours plus, you know, that's a long time. If you can get those games shorter, it means more people are are able to fit that into their schedule, you know. Um, stuff like that it's also better for parents you know you're trying to take your kids to a game you're not going to be home at midnight or something you know you can that makes it more doable um, but I think at the end of the day as somebody you know we've watched baseball for a long time 
you know, we're big fans of the game, but this kind of change makes it a much more enjoyable game. You know, you're, you're constantly watching every pitch, everything like that. Um, so yeah, I really like it. Um, and I think batters and, and pitchers, you know, people will adjust. This is, there's a reason it's being implemented now. There's time to adjust. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the, for the most part, like like you said, it it's just it's not about making it more appealing for the big fans like you and I or some of your listeners or our listeners. It's it's not it's not trying to speed up the game for the people who will watch every pitch regardless of if it's a two and a half hour game or four and a half hour game. Because at the end of the day, those are the people who love baseball the most and are probably just going to be able to have the patience to watch that long a game. Not that it's necessarily super interesting, but if it came up like so be it. That's like the way I see it for me. But for the grand scheme of the sport, 100%, the game's cutting down on the dead time of the sport was necessary. And I don't think it's just because I think it goes beyond just saying, oh, look, now I have an extra 20 minutes to get home after the game or to to do other work at the end of the game, whatever. I don't think it's about saving necessarily 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I think it's more just when you're watching a game, the number one complaint for baseball, from non-baseball fans who watch baseball, even some baseball fans who watch baseball, is it's too boring, it's too long. And it's not like the game time is too long because the game time is not that much longer. If anything, it's shorter than the NFL. But it's just that the dead time in between these pitches when, and yes, there's dead time in other sports too, I acknowledge that. But like, the, there's just so much dead time between every single pitch that it gets boring and it feels like it's taking forever. And and the pace just naturally picks up when you have a clock. And yes, I agree, there's an adjustment period right now. That's why they decided to implement this from the day one of spring training. I think that was a great call um, by the league to, to do that and have the umpires enforce it like it was in effect from the first day. And there's no more storylines about it, right? It was a big deal the first two days or so when when there were violations, when you know Machado got the first violation. Like that was, it was all over the, all over Twitter. And then the real issue was was when the Braves Red Sox spring training game ended because of a clock violation by the hitter, um, where it was like a bases loaded situation and the hitter struck out because of not being ready in the box in time. And I, I, I have some thoughts on that in a minute. But on a large scale, speeding up the game is a good thing for the overall population and growth of baseball. And especially with this up and coming generation, Gen Z. Like everyone says, they have the shortest attention span of any of anyone, right? Like, which is probably true. And how are you going to attract these people to watch a game that you requires a long ex- a, a, attention span? You just won't, right? So, killing the dead time again, more than just killing thirty, twenty, or twenty minutes out of the game, you just kill the dead time in between pitches. You, like you said, Ezra, killing people walking around the rosin bag, throwing it up on their arms, batters just going on a full circle addressing their batting gloves like i i think i i I think the clock could be a tad longer maybe especially on the hitter side i'll I'll get to that in a sec too but but um on a large scale on a macro scale i think the pitch clock is good for baseball i think fans who aren't giving it a shot are kind of just caught up in the fact that it's like oh like you said as well like baseball's the sport without a game without a clock I was one of those people last year, and then the more I've talked or I've listened to other people talk about it, both players, media, the league itself, and then watched the games of spring training. Like I've watched 
probably, you know, a week into spring training, I've probably watched over 20 baseball games already. There's 100% added value for it. So that's where I'm at. And then um, the thing that I said I'd circle back to, uh, this, I, th this being said, I do, as much as I love the clock, through a week, I would love to see a couple changes to it. So number one would be the eighth and ninth inning of, of save situation game. So three run games or less. If they up the clock by five seconds, so instead of being 15 seconds and 20 seconds, make it 20 and 25 seconds. I personally have no problem with that. Ezra, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I get I get what you're saying. Um, but I also think that we need to give it time for that too, um, in the sense that I think pitchers and catchers will and hitters will adjust to that. Um, and there's going to be loopholes here. Like there are going to be ways to get around having to throw the ball within 15 seconds. Like that's 100% going to happen in a high leverage situation. Like I don't see why a catcher wouldn't take a little extra time, you know, maybe be slow getting, you know, getting the ball back or doing stuff like that to give the pitcher a little more time um, to think it over. Um, so to be honest, like for me, at least I think you let it sit, let, let this go for now. And then, in June or something, or say we're midway through the season at the all-star break, if there's like a constant complaint, like, Hey, in leverage situations, like this is just doesn't work. Cause you can't, a pitcher needs, there is the thing like guys need time to, to think about what pitch they're going to throw like that. That's got to happen. Um, but overall, I do think like there are going to be ways to stretch those 15 seconds, the 20 seconds, um, and again, pitchers are going to be faster doing other things that maybe take them more time right now. You know, they might be quicker to get their glove, you know, you know, get get a good grip on the ball, do that kind of stuff, stuff that saves time. So they have more time to think about what pitch they're going to throw and do that kind of take a deep breath. Um, all those things that that kind of help with the anticipation um, and make baseball baseball. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the boat of let it ride for now let this let this go and see how it plays out um and i think there should be room to make adjustments if needed yeah i i agree that i would give i wouldn't but what i'm talking about i wouldn't necessarily implement it for opening day i just think if if it becomes a regular theme or too often a theme like no one wants like the goal of rob manfred and major league baseball when they implemented pitch clock wasn't to have games end by pitch clock violation right no one wants that <clears throat> So if, if, if it becomes a regularity where in that high leverage situation with the, the stadiums really loud, it's hard to hear the pitch calm. Like what happens in that situation is where, is where my head's at, right? Like if a pitcher has their pitch come in, the fans are going crazy, especially on the road. What happens then? Like you, you, there's a disengagement rule. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but that, that's a bit of like a, the gray zone where I'm at and in a major league ballpark, with 40 to 50,000 fans in the stadium and then people yelling and not being able to hear the pitch calm with two guys on and the run and the tying run on second base with one out in the ninth inning. If people, if there's violations happening there because of that, that's where they might have to up the clock or be able to call time for a pitch calm issue without necessarily being a violation. Um, but I would, I, I agree. I would let it ride with, with a, with what it is now, see how it works. It obviously works in the minor leagues. 
And I totally understand the fact that the number of violations dramatically decreased with more time. And that within like, I believe it was like six weeks, it became one violation in every two games, as opposed to two violations per game on average in minor league baseball within like a, that, that, that transition happened within six weeks or so. So there's no doubt it works. I'm very open to seeing how it works, but if, if there's, I, I do have concerns with that in late leverage situations where the crowd's riled up, you also don't want to take away from the, the intensity of a certain moment when in those high leverage situations, right? Like the anticipation building with, you know, 10 extra seconds between pitches is in that situation, maybe okay, but let's see how it works as is. I want to see how it works as is, but that's an area where I feel like they could make an adjustment if needed uh, in the future. And then the other thing that I was referring to uh, uh, as another possible adjustment was through your league spring training games. What I've noticed is I feel like the hitter has been more rushed than the pitcher, interestingly enough, um, which I don't think many people expected coming into this, but the hitter, keep in mind when the pitch clock is not, or sorry, when, when there's no, when there's no one on base, the hitter has to be ready within like seven, eight seconds, which is not a lot of time. Um, and talk about the pitcher deciding what to, wanting to decide what to throw and having adequate time for that. The hitters aren't just like when they step out and adjust their batting gloves, they're usually not just adjusting their batting gloves just to do that. They're thinking through what pitch they just saw, what they think is going to be coming based on the arsenal the pitcher has, based on the situation, all sort of that, that sort of stuff. And so you don't want the hitters being rushed because the, one of the goals of this was to kind of increase contact or one of the goals of the rule changes in general was to increase the action, increase the contact being made in baseball. And if hitters are having a harder time making swing decisions because they're feeling rushed, I'm a bit concerned with what would happen it, like if, if hitters don't have the right amount of time to think through pitches. Um, and I, we need a way bigger sample than a week of spring training. So, I, and I have no data to back my argument up. I'm just saying that's like something I'd be wary of going forward is maybe we move that eight second mark to the five second mark, just to give the hitters three extra time, three extra seconds to be ready. I feel like the pitchers have been at least in spring training so far ready to go consistently with seven, six, even eight to 10 seconds left on the clock. Like it's been the hitter that's felt the, the speed. So maybe that would just be a way to balance that out if it becomes an issue. Um, but I think that's totally just a wait and see thing based on results. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say I agree totally with the, with the hitter thing. Um, again, yeah, they need time to, to think about it, especially again in those high leverage situations. Um, I don't know, maybe, but I think it's something they have to figure out. Like if you give the hitter more time, you know, are guys going to be, you know, kind of tapping their bat on the plate and doing going through that ritual and there's one second left, the pitcher, you know, like how do you how do you go about dealing with like I think part of it is you need to make sure that the hitter is ready with enough time. Well, if you it's five I mean? seconds, if they're yeah. I think maybe, so they, I think maybe that they adjust good... so that they're in their stance after five seconds. Instead of just having their eye up on the pitcher at eight seconds, yeah, maybe yeah. you give them three extra seconds to think, but then they have to be ready to go in their batting stance with five seconds left. I feel like that could be a good adjustment. Yeah. I think that's, I think definitely because, yeah, the pitchers, especially some of these younger pitchers who are more athletic, um, and not grew up that, with yeah, the pitch clock and, and are used to it now in the minor leagues. Um, not saying that some of the older guys are not, but they're ready to go and they have the ability, you know, they can fire away all day. Like they don't, a lot of these guys, those guys don't care, 
right? They're like, re- they're ready to go. They're amped up. They've got adrenaline. Um, I think a lot more of those like slower pitchers, you know, it's guys who are older, guys who have not, didn't come up through the minor leagues um, with that pitch clock. But the guys who are younger, you talk about, you know, the players who are going to be the future of baseball, they are already pretty used to this, a lot of them. Um, so I think they're kind of raring to go, but maybe a lot of that adjustment is really with the hitters. Yeah, I think, again, like, it's been one week of this, of, like, actually watching this. No one really watches minor league baseball very regularly, right? Um, so we need a way bigger sample. We need to start the regular season as is, I think, and just kind of see how it works out. But the league's going to monitor trends. The players are going to monitor trends, and these trends become a storyline. Like, think about in 2021 with the spider attack issues, right? The league said they weren't going to do anything about it in, the, in spring training. It became a storyline. People were talking about it constantly. It became the whole, the biggest story of the season for a stretch in, I believe, May of 2021. And then by the end of the month, there was data to back up after two months of play that the hitter, the offense was dramatically down, spin, spin rates were way up, pitchers' success was way up. And so the league took action. And by June, July, they made that adjustment and, and did their band and started doing the checks of people's hands, right? That was a midseason adjustment. That can totally happen again now. Even if the league says they're not going to be flexible now, like let's let's give it some time for the season to develop, see how it plays out, and if it becomes an over like an overarching issue that that takes away from the rest of the sport, you bet they'll they'll make the changes necessary. It's it's just like we need to stop judging it after after a week of seeing it and start criticizing it. And my suggestions are just very like things to look out for in the future. I'm not saying I want them implemented tomorrow. I'm just saying I'm conscious of these things I, I potentially being issues. And I, I'm curious to see if they do develop into issues or if they're resolved uh, more simply than I, I they could be. Um, so let's just do a little bit of a turn here. One other interesting part of the pitch clock is the disengagement rule, which is, um, which is basically just means that the pitcher cannot step off the mound more than twice, whether that's a throw over to, like pickoff or uh, or just stepping off to get a new pitch or calling time. The pitcher only has two free uh, disengagements from the rubber per at-bat. Um, and if they do it a third time and there's a runner on base, then the runner will get uh, an extra base. Like it'll be a balk. Um, and so I think that's the reason they had to do this was so you can't just start stepping off between every pitches to reset the clock. So it makes sense that it had to happen. Um, but the other big part of this is that it should hopefully really increase the potential for stolen bases in the sport, which everyone is a big fan of, I think. Stolen bases are a very exciting part of the game. Um, but if you have guys who are are good base runners and able to take bouncy leadoffs at first base, make the pitcher be wary of them, throw over once, and then all of a sudden, if they throw over again, you have a great, a great opportunity to get a really good jump. And so... It's not like the pitcher can't step off the third time. They can still step off if they're confident. But if it's just that they don't get a runner out, then it's a balk. And so the leader, the runner can't just be halfway between first and second base because the pitcher will just step off. But I think just overall, the disengagement rule makes sense because it avoids being a workaround of the clock and should hopefully cre- create an increased amount of action, which combined with the bigger bases, which we don't really need to talk about further. Like everyone's going to love the bigger bases. It's just better for player health and player action. Nothing else to be said. There's not really debate there. 
those two things combined should hopefully create a much more action-packed game, especially on the bases, which has been totally lost the last few years in baseball. Yeah, totally. I mean, I agree with everything that you said there. Um, and yeah, I think again, it gives it gives there's still room for for if a guy needs to step off or that kind of stuff. But when you think about it, at the end of the day, like this being a rule, I don't think ruin like ruins the game in a way that there are people who think it does. Like if you look at a lot of other sports, baseball has so many kind of crazy, not crazy, but I mean, we have, you know, we have the thing of guys when they warm up in the bullpen, you know, they're out, they warm up in the outfield, then they come in and throw more pitches on the mound. That's the only sport I can really think of where that's a thing, where when you sub in a player, they get all this extra time. You look at soccer, guys sub in, you run onto the field, you're in the game. You do your warmups off, you know, which I think that's another debate. That's a kind of a different issue I have, but stuff like that. Baseball has, has a lot of these kind of, for a long time has had a lot of these laxed rules that I think probably seem crazy to fans of other sports. And is partially why a lot of fans are like not drawn to baseball is because there's all these different things that um, kind of drag the game on. Um, so yeah, I think this just, this allows for breakdowns for sure, but it also still keeps up the efficiency and then stolen bases. Everybody likes stolen bases. Um and really creates, you know, guys who have speed can really become more, you know, they're going to become valuable because if stolen bases skyrocket, a guy who can steal a lot, all of a sudden, I mean, I'm not saying Billy Hamilton's going to be a hot trade market um, candidate, but if they're big, like if stolen bases like are going way up, teams are going to make moves for guys who can do that. Um, and you already see teams preparing for that for sure. So overall, again, I think they're great rules. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And then also, I think it just makes another it makes more of a focus on base running, right? Like, I think a lot of players have gotten away from being good base runners in today's game because it hasn't been financially rewarded in contracts, right? You're just looking for your power and and, and power pitching and all that type of thing. Um, so I think if if stolen bases become an important part of the game again, there's more player incentive to start stealing bases to start being a better base runner. And that thing, and those things will be hopefully more valued in contract negotiations for, uh, for for players. Um, so that's another thing to watch out for. Um, but those again, those things go hand in hand with the pitch clock. Um, but let's shift gears a little bit to the the two other, um, the two other rule changes. So number one, I guess, is still a little bit tied to the clock, which is the Bach rule. Um, so box have always been a thing in baseball, um, but the this this past a couple weeks ago, I guess they they the league said that they would be a bit stricter. They tell umpires to be more strict with calling box, right? So you're not going to see guys like Kevin Gossin who does a bit of a rock before his delivery. The guys like um, Luis Garcia of the Astros who will do his did his rock the baby thing. I think they're it's just going to mean that there's no more rocking before coming set when there's guys on base. Um, and the reason for this is so that it is clear for the person who's manning the pitch clock, who, um, like, or when the clock, when the rotation has started to make it clear that the clock should end. Right. And if the, if, if guys are rocking back and forth, um, and then go right into their delivery, it makes it very hard for the 
person manning the clock to be like, oh, that that was the first movement in this delivery as opposed to just coming set still. So uh, it'll be that'll be a, a, a bit of a change, but it, just a necessary one for the clock to work. It wasn't super controversial. I only think probably a handful of pitchers are actually major league concerned or make, need to make major changes with it, but they're all major league pitchers going to be talented enough to figure something else out there. I don't think that needs much more discussion, but do you have any extra thoughts on that, Ezra? No, I mean, I guess that that's the end of the uh, rocking the baby. Uh, and some of those maybe, I don't know, is the Nestor, does the Nestor Cortez, uh, did his antics come to an end here? or? I don't those... think so because his was different because most leg, of his antics right? were once his leg like was after, up. Yeah. So that was clearly once his delivery had started. It was the one coming set versus the delivery starting. So okay, but Luis Garcia might might need to find a new uh, a new a new a new trick. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the last rule is the shift ban. Um, this one, it's kind of hard to get a gauge on the value of it right now because there's just not enough data on the impact it has. But obviously the goal of it is for, especially for left-handed hitters, just for fewer outs to be, or fewer well-hit baseballs to be out, balls up the middle, balls up the middle, excuse me, or uh, the or balls to shallow right field where you know, where people were playing like a rover type of guy the last number of years. I think just eliminating those um, are important hopefully creating some more singles. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to have as crazy an impact as some people think, just because at the end of the day, like most plays are still going to be made within the infield. Um, and so I feel like it'll probably raise the batting average by like two to three points, but not by five to six to eight points. I think it, we're looking at a bit of a smaller change, but still a noticeable one. Um, and it should definitely benefit lefties more than righties, just because lefties were much more often shifted against. Yeah. Barry Bonds probably could have hit. Who knows? But there are probably a lot of retired lefties right now who are, I think they're doing all right, but they're, it's probably, you know, got to be weird to see that the league is completely changing. Um, something that a lot of them kind of just, it was like part of the game is that if you're a lefty, you're just going to hit into the shift. Like, that's just how it is. So I do think it will increase base hits for lefties, for sure. Um, yeah, not much else to add there. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see the impact it has because it's just, again, not enough data. In the minors, it was closer to like 2 or 3% batting average increases than, than other stuff. But maybe it'll just have more of an impact on like on, on changing the um, BABIP and batting average like differences, like the gaps between those mm -hmm. two figures, maybe that closes closer closes up a bit. Um, I, I'm, I have no idea if that's true. We'll just see. But I just think it's hard to tell exactly the impact it'll have now without more data on it. But it, it was something that had to happen. And this one, unlike the um, the pitch clock, it was never a part of our game like 20 years ago, right? Shifting's been a thing of like the 2010s, maybe even the 2000s for the Rays and some teams, but really only like dramatically was the last probably 15, 20 years. And so I think having uh, a bit more clarity in in the rule there doesn't necessarily change the the way people perceive the game. It's not like, oh, baseball is the sport without a shift. Like no one says that it's baseball. Like 
it's as far as out a clock and out as clock, so be it. But it's not the same drastic impact of of uh, of the clock. Anyway, let's move on to some of uh, some other news around the league. Just three players we're going to talk about here. First up, the Manny Machado extension. Uh, he had an opt-out after this upcoming season. He talked about why he needed to opt-out in order to afford groceries. Um, and has, uh, But luckily, the Padres said, no worries, we will have your eggs covered for you. Uh, and they signed him to a new 10-year, or 11-year, excuse me, $350 million contract that'll keep him a Padre through his age 41 season. Um, the Padres just continue to spend money like crazy. They've obviously got so many stars locked up. They signed Bogarts this offseason. They have Tatis locked up for years. They signed Darvish to a six-year extension as well recently. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting players. Soto's still under contract for two more years. Maybe they'll extend him. Um, that's the, the report anyway. Um, Joe Musgrove is under contract for five more years. He signed an extension last season. Like This is a talented, talented core with a that's all under control. And especially the off, the offense is just locked up for a long time. And Machado is just the next one who, by the way, has made like $500 million between his two contracts with the Padres. So good for him. Definitely uh, played that market very well. Uh, Ezra, what, what are your thoughts on that? One of the best third basemen off the board for the head of free agency for next season, um, locking up that big deal now. Yeah, I mean, definitely thins out that market for next year. It was already a pretty thin market. And now you're looking at kind of a, a big target in Otani and then you know not a whole lot besides that there's some guys but yeah Machado's really good he's lived up to that contract um and he needs to be able to afford eggs price has gone up it's tough you know times are tough out there inflation you know a lot of people are really struggling with inflation so you know you can understand from Machado's standpoint why um that kind of money would really you know make a difference um for those yeah. who don't understand this reference by the way he said this when he was talking about why he needed to opt out was that he he couldn't afford eggs anymore so that's where we're getting exactly san diego is not a cheap place to live um but um i think machado can will do just fine there um yeah he's he's a really good player machado's just really good great defense um, great defense great bat um you know can probably win an mvp in any given year probably for the next couple years for sure um and yeah like you said that Padres lineup is stacked um they have Tatis coming back they have Soto who will probably be a whole lot better I mean Soto we talked about Juan Soto had a down year down he wasn't even that bad like Juan Soto was still pretty damn good he had an OBP of uh, over 400 last yeah year. I think he was you know again but you know when when Juan Soto is held to the standard that he is that doesn't you know um, but I think he'll still he'll be the one Soto that people know. Um, yeah, it's a really good team. It's just they went they almost went to the World Series last year, um, but you know they'll they'll definitely be in contention again this year for sure. Yeah, I agree. They've had a terrific offseason. They continue to spend money like crazy, but and some people have controversy with that or problems with that. I think that's a story for another episode. We're just talking about the the economic disparity and the controversy going on with that right now mlb for, forming an economic reform committee um manfred talking about why he wants a salary cap the players union saying they'll never agree to a salary cap so i think that's a story for another episode maybe if if it's worth its own one um but 
yeah, just good for the Padres. They're showing that spending money, even in a small market, will earn you money. And like there's those those viral pictures from the Padres fan fest were amazing. Like it, that was back in January, but like the fans are just showing up like crazy because there's so much to be excited about. They should be. So it's great for that. Uh, great to see. Um, and yeah, Machado is just another extension. Obviously, he's not going to be that great within the last four, five, six years of that deal. But this deal locks him up through the rest of his career with the Padres. He's been terrific for that franchise. He's become a great leader with the franchise, turned that team around, and he gets rewarded for it. Um, the two other players we're going to talk about are both injury-related. Injury Gavin Lux is the big one. He tore his ACL running the bases on uh, or the other day in a spring training game, and he will miss the entire season, which is a huge blow to the Dodgers. He was projected to be their everyday shortstop this season. Um, the other one is Tyler Glasnow, who's dealing with a grade two oblique strain. He'll be out for probably at least a month of the season, if not more. Not a ton of details on that yet, but those are the two biggest names to be bitten by the injury bug. Seiya Suzuki as well, but Cubs is another one, actually. Um, also on oblique strain, I believe. Um, so not we don't need to dive in too much about the analysis of these things, but I think the biggest impact is just is 100% the Dodgers, uh, Gavin Lux because they've already lost a bunch of guys in free agency this year. Trey Turner, their shortstop last year, headed to the Phillies. And so Lux was finally penciled in for an everyday role of shortstop with the Dodgers. And then as soon as he gets that opportunity, just Lux was not on his side and tears his ACL, which is a big blow um, to a team that was already going to be, they're still a very, very good team, but it was going to be a little bit harder for them to come by wins as it's been the last few years. Yeah, just... It it sucks from a from a just like a player standpoint for him. You could see in the, in the interview like just how much it it really kind of hurt him. Like he you know he was really eyeing this. Um, and yeah, Miguel Rojas is is not um, really a serviceable option. Um, if for a, especially for a team in that division, like the Padres are going to be really good. Um, and Miguel Rojas as your as your starting shortstop is not won't cut it right um so i still think they'll be a very good team um but i do think that the dodgers might be looking at a bit of an of an overhaul especially since they they gave up a lot of their you know they have a good farm system but they also gave up a lot of guys if you remember um think back to the max scherzer deal um stuff like that so it's not the farm system it once was um but yeah again for for lux really it, it just it hurt it's tough to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Those non-contact injuries when you're suffering on live TV, just really tough to swallow for the fans, the players, everyone. Like, it's just not easy. Um, so we hope Lux a speedy recovery. It's possible he comes back earlier than, you know, the recovery time. Guys like Marcus Stroman did it. That's a recent example of it. Um, when he came back from a spring training ACL tear in, like, end of or middle of September. So maybe this happens to Lux, but definitely a huge blow to the Dodgers and they'll be relying even more on guys like Miguel Rojas and then some of the young, other young players on their team. Um, and then last thing we're just going to really quickly touch on is the World Baseball Classic, which will get started this upcoming week. Um, so that's going to be just a fun, entertaining baseball in March. Um, I'm excited to watch it. The teams to watch out for 100%, the U.S., uh, Dominican, Puerto Rico, maybe Venezuela, Mexico, like those are the teams that, and of course, Japan. Um, those are really the teams that t are, are the ones to keep an eye on. 
uh, U.S., Dominican, Japan are the three heavyweights of it and are heavy favorites with stacked with talented rosters. Um, you can go check uh, for more information on their rosters. Go check like the WBC um, like social media handles or just Google is all over the place. Um, and that tournament's going to get underway next week. That'll be very exciting. Any quick thoughts, Ezra? No, should be fun. You get you know high leverage JBs and in, in games like in in April or March. Sorry. Um, so yeah, should be really fun to watch. Absolutely, and uh, that will wrap it up for today. Um, I believe we'll be back with another episode in hopefully the next uh, week or two at at most, and we'll be back sooner than it's been the last couple times. Uh, so we apologize about being a bit slow to upload the next episode. Um, just we just had very busy lives and took a minute. Uh, you just needed some time to be able to record one. Um, but we will be back at some point, probably during the World Baseball Classic, talk about any other spring storylines, World Baseball Classic storylines, as we get ever so close to opening day, which is very exciting. Anyway, that'll wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you think about the rule changes on social media, and we will see you next time.